Hello, and welcome to the Seattle Coffee Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Pat, and joining me this episode is Allie. How's it going, Allie? It's going well. How are you, Pat? Pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about brew methods. We have a nice big list of brew methods to hit on. <laughs> um, and this is kind of like the first, the plan anyways, for this sort of be the first full episode of the show. So um, we're starting off with some really foundational information, um, just some basic uh ways to make coffee that you probably haven't heard of all of these before yeah uh, but before few. we dig into that have there been any coffees or equipment or anything that you have been enjoying recently yeah i actually i kind of ventured out this month um to like you know mix it up and try some new things so mm-hmm. i had um a honduras it's actually technically a blend but it's like a single origin um, it's a Honduras from Kuma Coffee, which is local here in Washington. Um, it was pretty good. I actually, I drank it as espresso. Um, it was nice and rich and, you know, they, they called it balanced. I would say the way I was drinking it was definitely more chocolate heavy, which technically chocolate can be considered balanced, right? Um, but yeah, that was really good. And then I had some Spy House Coffee. Uh, this one is actually a women producers group, which is really cool. Um, and that is, I think that's also from Honduras, weirdly enough. Yeah, I that, I think that was the roast of the month that we did. Oh, nice. This month, actually. Perfect. <laughs> Pretty sure, anyway. Very timely. Um, there's been a few women producers coffees that I have seen come up. So I'm I want to say that that is definitely the the one because I'm pretty sure pretty positive it was the Spy House one. Yeah, I've actually I've had this one a, a couple of times, um, and every time I I have it, it's really satisfying to drink. It's um, like a mild taste, so it's it's great as drip for me. I mm-hmm. um, usually do it in like pour over a drip. I just think that works really well. I also have some fulcrum coffee coming in. I'm still waiting on it, and this is from Thailand. So I haven't had any coffees from Thailand, at least not anytime recently. So I'm excited to try it. I've never brewed any Thai coffees. I have tried a couple that like in cafes, but I haven't brewed any before. Um, And the couple that I have had have been very interesting. So it's not um, a super popular region for specialty coffee, which is why I was excited to try it. My understanding, and you may know better than me, um, so this could be. To totally incorrect but my understanding is that a lot of the those southeast asian regions have for a long time mostly grown robustas right that are more used in instant coffee and stuff exactly. that service because in like china and mm-hmm. um other asian countries that have huge coffee markets they right. mostly drink instant so um you get a lot of robustas being produced in those regions but but over the last couple decades um there's been a bigger push to um, grow more Arabica beans there to try to capitalize on the specialty market as that's kind of growing in Japan and, and around the world. They've actually done a lot too. There's like competitions now. I'm forgetting the names mm-hmm. of them off the top of my head. Yeah. But it's like a real big incentive for these farms to start doing more specialty coffee. And I think that is what, one of the reasons why it's kind of spread. So I'm excited to see those regions, you know, come out with those flavors. And I'm pretty sure you're going to have a, a podcast dedicated to to beans. So I won't go into that too much. Um, but it, yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited to try it. Maybe next yeah. time we talk, I can report back on what it was like. Yeah, please do. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm definitely very intrigued. I, I've had some, I was, we, for the, the like 
behind the scenes that has come up a couple times on these early episodes that we're recording a bunch of episodes kind of ahead of time so that we can have them in the bank. Um, so uh, I was talking to to Jake the other day on an episode about how we tasted a ton of incoming coffee this week. Fun. I think it was like 13 different roasts. And there was like uh, Papua New Guinea in there. I want to say there was an Indonesia in there. So um, we've been getting some of some some good stuff from um, some wide some ranges of those regions. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I, I've kind of exhausted. I've done a couple of these episodes this week, so I've kind of exhausted some of my <laughs> this is the stuff coffees. I'm enjoying talking <laughs> points this week. But um, but yeah, I'm really the. I will say. Um, we got in Tony's 50th anniversary Ooh. blend um, from Tony's coffee. And it's surprisingly, and not surprisingly because I, Tony's is a great roaster. So I don't mean surprisingly like <laughs> I don't like their coffee, but um, I was surprised as someone who's usually a more of a single origin person. I was surprised at how much I like this blend. Um, so I'd like to think it would be good, right? If they're, they're putting their 50th anniversary around well, it. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like, in celebration they won roast magazines 2021 roaster of the year so it's it's like they're celebrating a lot of stuff and it's cool i would keep an eye out for it as it as it starts to hit by the time you hear this it's probably been available for a little bit but definitely check it out if you if you have the the opportunity to um but with that uh i think it would be great to get into some of these this big list of brew methods (laughs) that we have (laughs) yeah i kind of tried like going here yeah i kind of tried to um go through every one that i could think of but there's probably more that we won't even get to um i think we could probably focus on some of the more popular ones of course and then uh maybe if we're if we're feeling um adventurous we'll talk about some of these more uncommon ones yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I think a good place to start really is to talk a little bit about slow brewing methods first. Cool. Um, and um, I think, I don't know, the one that always, the one that seems like it got everyone that I know who's into coffee into coffee is when you first have a pour over. Mm. That's like, that's like the, the, everyone's had a drip coffee. We'll talk about, talk about that in a minute, but <laughs> pour over is super interesting. And I think, what surprises people about it sometimes is the range of yeah. pour over options that are out there. So you listed a few of them here. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk a little bit about some of the the variety of sure. pour over that's out there, that would be great. Yeah, it's funny that you say pour over is kind of the entry level or like your your gateway, if you will, into that. Me personally, it was French press. And that uh, is something that we did a lot when I worked I worked for Starbucks for a period of time, and that's how we tasted all of our coffee. So that's, that's really, interesting. Yeah, that's kind of where I started. So it's interesting to say that. But for V60, whenever I tried that for the first time, I was, you know, it's completely different than French press. And we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, um, it's really interesting to to see the differences in those. So for V60, that's one of the types of pour overs. And then there's also a Melita. These are probably the two most common. Um, the Melita is more like a a standard type of drip, it's actually going to be with a number four filter. So it's still like a cone shape, but the V60 is more a, um, an actual round shape filter. It's a very specific filter for that style. And the inside of that pour over has specific little, um, lines or kind of divots to guide the way that the coffee pulls through. Um, and so it can affect the flavor a little bit differently. 
When I mm-hmm. had my first pour over, it was a Melita, and it makes all of those coffees really consistent. And that's what's good about that version. The V60, though, has a lot more room to play with the flavors. It brings out a little bit more like floral notes, actually, and some of totally. those lighter ones as you as you adjust. Have yeah. you used both? Yes, I have both. Um, and I tend to prefer V60, but that's just because I like those right. floral notes um, quite a lot. Interestingly, we taste coffee to bring on with v60 yeah and it's true what you're saying about sort of the balance that you get from a melita and some people would probably argue that that would be the smarter uh dripper to taste with if you're trying Mm -hmm. to get like the baseline for coffees but we tend to use v60 because they so many people use a v60 to drink pour over like it is it is so melita is popular as well but like I Specialty for a long time. Coffee. Yeah, I didn't even really realize that there was something you I, I knew about V60 and Chemex. That was kind of right. what it where it was for me for a while. Um, so that's kind of why we use V60, even though M- Melita is, is just as valid and um, and, and, and super common. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the V60, too, like as you get more familiar with doing pour over, it kind of it allows you to adjust that, which is which is good and useful for coffees, because even if you're tasting them side by side, it's not going to be exact for every coffee you try. Right. Like you'll want to adjust those recipes a little bit here and there. So I think it gives you the flexibility to do that. But if you're know you're first starting out with pour over and you just want something super simple, I would recommend the Melita. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and it's also, like you said, the um, the filters are really easy to find right, for true. Melita, even in like grocery stores and stuff. Sometimes you have to, depending on where you live, mm-hmm. it might be. If you live in like a major city, city it's mm-hmm. not going to be that hard to find uh, V60 filters. But the, but the same might not be true if you're living in a rural area or something. So, yeah, yeah. Leading into that, why don't we move on to like Chemex? Because I think yeah, that's a definitely. good a good segue. The Chemex is going to be very similar to those V60s and Melita. Um, the biggest difference there is for one, the looks. If you've never seen a Chemex, I would recommend checking them out. I think they're the prettiest way to brew coffee, personally. Um, sure. They have a design that's actually in the oh gosh, is it the New York Art Museum or something? But it's a classic piece. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the biggest difference between those and uh, the Chemex is going to be, for one, the filter. So it is a glass, um, a glass brewer, but you put a very specific filter inside. It's made by Chemex, which um, is like really the only brand I would recommend using it with. And it's a triple ply filter on one side. It's like cut in a square triple ply on one side and uh, just single on the other. And this is much thicker than the V60 or the Melita filter. So it's going to take out more fats and oils in the coffee. It's going to leave you an even cleaner cup. So when you drink it, it actually uh, makes the body of the coffee lighter. And this is probably my favorite way to prepare coffee because not only is it beautiful, but I really like that clean taste. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- it, it, I admittedly have a hard time really telling the difference between um, the 
different kinds of like V60 and Melita and Kalita Wave and like different drippers that you can use. But a Chemex is a very clear difference from other types of pour over. Um, And it really it really does give you a a very clean set of flavors. And I think is works with a wider range of of coffees to me than um, like sometimes there's coffees that just are not suited for a V60, for example. But 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 because of Chemex um, provides that cleanliness and and I guess a little bit of balance, I think it works really well for a really wide range of of coffee. I agree. I agree. I think you can get like all the way from those really light nuanced flavors from like all the way to the really roasty dark ones. And it can just kind of like balance them out and make them have like a um, kind of an even playing field for what you're going to get and what you can expect. Um, But yeah, I would, you know, Chemex is, like I said, my favorite. And so I would definitely recommend checking it out if you if you haven't used it before. Or even if you have a specialty coffee shop near you um, and they do have a slow bar, uh, that's a good one to try or ask about. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, So I guess with that in mind, if we want to talk a little bit about that press, about press coffees, like you mentioned, I think that would be a a good next one since you were mentioning that that was sort of what got you more into specialty coffee at first. Yeah, it definitely was. And so I think the reason we use French press whenever we were tasting coffees and learning about it is because it's the most similar to what they do for cupping. And if you aren't familiar with cupping, that's actually how they taste the coffees, um, how uh, coffee buyers taste the coffee to decide um, if they like it, if they have it has the notes they're looking for and the quality as well. Um, and so it's very similar to French presses and they just have the ground coffee and they put the hot water on top. Um, And they actually leave them in together for a while. And then they'll take spoons and scrape it off the top, scrape those grounds off the top, and then just use those spoons to drink it. And so the only difference really between that method and the French press is that the grounds stay in the brewer itself or in the, um, most of the time it's glass or thermal. It'll stay in there and they just get pushed down to the bottom with a Mm -hmm. metal filter. So that's going to make a much more dense and rich, kind of the opposite of a Chemex in a way, because you're using all metal filter, right, instead of that paper. So it's leaving all of the fats and oils inside. So you're really going to taste that. Um, And if you've used a French press before, you've seen like the residue that's left over or, you know, you're going to see some of that grit sometimes too. But that really packs a punch in your coffee. Yeah, yeah. So you tend to get really bold flavors and um that it it's I have found that sometimes a like very light floral coffee might Not. be yeah <laughs> it might kind of it kind of might tip over into bitter territory but yeah. if you've got like a really robust medium dark roast that you're going to get like the fullest of flavors from that coffee and um it's a much it's it's a much more um complex cup than what you might get off of like a drip brewer can be. And that's why I say I usually recommend French press if you like those bold flavors and you like those heavier notes because you're not going to get the more nuanced flavors as you would with those filter methods. You're going to get more of them like more like the tobacco notes and like the really heavy dark chocolate and um, you know earth notes and that sort of thing is really going to be complemented by all those fats. 
um, and they're going to coat your mouth a little bit. So they're going to leave you, you know, with that nice, strong taste. So, you know, and that's going to, I'll segue into the Turkish because that's kind of similar in a way or like a mocha pot too. Both of those aren't going to use paper filter either. So, um, and this is actually something that is a term for these slow brew methods. It's called full immersion. So mm-hmm. that just means, you know, having the grounds in the in the cup with the coffee before it's removed instead of just having it drip through the coffee. And that's going to make a difference, too. It's more like steeping or like you would with tea or something. Yeah, right, so right. Turkish, right? It's super, super, super fine ground coffee. Um, it's even finer than espresso, right? Because you need it to be water soluble, which right, is what makes that unique. Yeah. It's basically like dissolving into the. Yep. I mean, it's usually there's sediment, so it's not like it doesn't fully dissolve. But yeah. It's Have you had Turkish thick. coffee? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. The first time I had it was at a restaurant. I can't remember where I was, but I was at a restaurant, and my dad ordered it. And me loving coffee, I was like interested, right? So I. I drank it for the first time, and I've never been so caffeinated in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because it has a similar – I mean, I don't actually know the chemistry behind how the caffeine levels change, but it's it's full immersion, right? So right. it's it's – you're drinking – you're not straining out anything. You're drinking <laughs> the all of grounds. the – Yes. You're basically drinking the grounds. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, they also it's it's almost like if you've ever had like chocolate covered espresso beans, like those are like five espresso beans is like one cup of coffee. So if you take that and like the amount of coffee that's ground and in the Turkish, you can see why you'd be bouncing off the walls. Totally. Um, Turkish is a lot harder to get, though. Like if you're going to make Turkish coffee, like electric grinders, for example, really are hard to yeah. get those grounds, you know, because super fine it'll just clog them basically if you have to i don't mean this i get this question a lot i don't mean this in a in a i don't mean to sound uh like rude or like the question bothers me but if you have to ask if a grinder can brew can grind for turkish the answer is almost certainly no (laughs) (laughs) Um, if any any electric grinder that you find that will grind for turkish which i am not aware of any that really can do do that it's going to be very clearly advertised that that it, it can do that. Um, you generally want to use a hand grinder and it's and really a specific hand I, grinder. Yeah. 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 It's hard to do, but if you know how to do it and if you love Turkish coffee, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, some people even use like sugar in it and stuff like that, which makes it mm-hmm. strong and sweet. So that's a fun little treat and or something to do. Honestly, aside from being time consuming and being pretty far apart from a flavor profile perspective from from other brew methods it's not super expensive to get a set True. to 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 make turkish coffee with for i mean a couple hundred dollars you can have pretty much everything you need from the serving pots and cups to the grinder yeah it's just time consuming and takes a little bit of practice yeah it's almost like a ritual though i like to think of yes definitely and you know people especially people who do make their coffee and like like their rituals that's a really rewarding one i believe yep Definitely. And the same thing, you know what, I always, um, this is kind of going on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe we'll come back to the the other full immersion methods that I was talking about. But the siphon is actually, um, or vacuum pot, if you haven't heard of the siphon. This is another one that's kind of like that. It's very 
ritual based, but takes a lot of effort and time and precision on this one. The mm-hmm. good news about this one, you don't have to grind that fine, right? It's actually more of a pour over ground. Um, but if you've ever seen one or if you haven't, look up a video. Very cool. You brew this either over a heat lamp or fire. Um, so it's a little bit more exciting than your average, you know, pouring kettle over your your grounds. Um, and this is something I used to do when I worked at a roastery as well. And people would ask me, you know, do you do you make this at home? Do you make it every day? It's a lot of effort. Beautiful. Sure. Great for hosting and things like that. If you're hosting, it's a beautiful show. But it actually makes super, super light. And um, even more so, we were talking about the Chemex. This is a very, very light tea-like way to make your coffee. It was actually the first way they made filter coffee um, before they did any of these other methods. It was the first. And before it was used for coffee, it was used for tea. So it makes very similar flavors. It's not for everyone, especially if you're like those darker, richer roast. This was only one I would recommend for light, floral, uh, fruity types of coffee. Mm-hmm. Have you had a siphon? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I, I really like siphon coffee. Um, and it's like you said, it's very fun to watch. It's also you can learn from it. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people that might use one as an adult, you probably have already learned a lot of the about a lot of the the processes at play when you brew mm-hmm. with a siphon, but especially for like kids, yeah. like I've shown siphon brewing to kids a couple of times and there it just like blows their mind. And yeah. I think it's so cool. And you can learn a lot about how pressure works and how, you know, water moves around when it heats up and stuff. It's so I think it's definitely worth having a siphon somewhere They're <laughs> if you like that kind of coffee. It's yeah. really cool. It's a process. It takes a lot of work, which is similar to a Another kind of brewing that is more kind of a daily routine rather than something you might pull out for special occasions, and that is espresso. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the favorites, I'm sure, from yeah, pretty much Yeah, everyone. I mean, one of the reasons we're here, right? Like, certainly right. there's a lot of craft to making a good pour over. There's a lot to, um, like, learning the right... Um, having the right equipment and learning the right ratios and stuff for, for making a great pot of drip brew. But espresso is really the sort of coffee hobbyists way to make coffee. Right. I also, it's, it takes a lot of Mm -hmm. practice and attention to detail too, which is kind of why I, it, it's a good transition from that siphon, right? Like when you are first learning espresso, there's a lot to learn and a lot of variables and things like that, but it, it becomes an art. Totally. Right? Like once you do it well, um, you can really, really do it well, right? And that's why coffee shops have such an appeal because they have, you know, these baristas who are very practiced and things like that. But when you can recreate that experience at home, that's even more special, right? Because it's going to be exactly yeah, how you like it. Yeah, there's sort of a thing with espresso where... You know, you can put all kinds of additives to coffee, but it feels to me like Mm -hmm. if you put syrup and milk in a coffee, you're having a coffee that you added, like a drip coffee. You're having a a drip brew that you're adding syrup and milk to, but it becomes a latte when it is espresso Mm -hmm. with carefully steamed milk and, you know, just the right flavorings. 
Uh, so it's more of a kind of craft way to drink coffee, I think. And that's that's super appealing and well earned because it's delicious, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, pretty much everyone knows, I think if you know espresso, you know, it kind of came over from Italy and they make all these fun jokes about how a guy wanted his employees to have like shorter coffee breaks. Mm-hmm. And so he figured if he, you know, condensed the amount of coffee, it would just be a quick chug and then back to work. So I think um, it has a lot of history behind it too. And over the years, the equipment's just gotten better and better in both yeah. like the commercial market and the home market. Um, and you know, what makes espresso so unique besides it being like a condensed down version, it's the fineness of the grind. So we talked about Turkish, and that's probably the finest you'd ever go. Yeah. But espresso is right behind that, right? So it's a very, very fine grind that's going to let you extract the probably some of the most flavors that you can. That combined with pressure, you get a very unique flavor. And that's what makes it so good in those lattes, right? It's going to maintain that heavy body but then you have like your milk, your syrup, stuff like that to kind of smooth it out. And it works really well. Just that balance. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's to a degree, it's an acquired taste. I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. you know, every person's going to love espresso. But I think similar to drip coffee and really any kind of coffee, um, it's with espresso and and more so with espresso because it's easier to screw up an espresso shot and to and to not have a good one. <laughs> so you might you might just have espresso even at some coffee shops especially like larger chain coffee shops where um, they're moving so fast that they're not necessarily taking the time to really craft the shot and so you taste the shot and you're like oh this is this is really bitter this is sour and i need milk with it because it tastes bad a good espresso shot is complemented by those other flavors not absolutely made drinkable by them so if you if, if you if you like coffee in general, but your thought behind like whenever you hear espresso is like, oh, it's too much. It's too strong for me or whatever. Try to have a shot of espresso, taste one from like a really good specialty coffee shop if you can. Yes. And um, and and see if you like that more because uh, that's the best experience to have with espresso. And then from there, if you really are into it, you can learn how to craft that at home. But it is a long it's a it's a pretty complex like learning curve that you go through to learn it and and really to get to know what you're drinking is is good espresso you kind of have to learn a lot about extraction and how it works and how brewing espresso works there's no simple you know we can say like oh you use you know one to two uh coffee Mm -hmm. to water and you want a 25 second shot but it's not that simple you really need to learn what is happening when you pull a shot and and like understand it because we get a lot of people who will say like well the pressure gauge is wrong and the time's <laughs> wrong and i don't know what's happening and it's hard to diagnose those things because it's kind of like right. well you need to learn some Narrow foundational yeah you need to like learn some foundational knowledge about it you kind of need to do the research to understand yourself why you're not getting a good shot rather than for me to give you a quick solution to why it's not working and I always say it's like a building block system, right? Like you, there's certain aspects to it, and that's kind of the key. Once you you build upon each concept, right? Like weighing the beans, getting your grind just right, like um, your tamp, you know, like there's so many things that do go into it. But 
if after you get one thing down, it starts to get easier and easier yep. and you can get closer and closer to what you'd like. And then I wanted to go back to your point that you made about like the different types of coffee shops and like where you'd get, you know, um, one shot and you think like, oh, that's not for me. And then another shop, you would have a different experience. Something else to consider is the type of beans that you are using mm -hmm. or the coffee shop is using because that can make a really big difference. Totally. And, you know, um, I think you guys are going to talk about beans, so I won't go too far into it, but you don't have to use espresso beans. Like that's not really a specific thing. It's just what the roasters want to call it because that's how they recommend brewing it. But you can use any beans for espresso, and I think that's kind of a – a good way for people to think, oh, this is something that really you can do with anything and it can be the flavor that you like. Yeah, we do talk about, well, stay tuned for the episode that I did with Ariel about um, about beans, but um, definitely the term espresso bean is really just a marketing term and it right. might be used for educational purposes by the roaster. It might be used to sell beans to specific uh, market, but really it's just a marketing term that says like, hey, these beans are easier to work with or, or we think that they um, they work well for espresso, you can make a pour over with, quote, espresso beans. And there's a lot of them that are really good, like Tony Sugar Bee. I actually myself prefer it as a drip brew or a pour over. It's a great espresso, too. So it's certainly not taken away from that. But I really like it in different brew methods, even than the espresso that they like it in for my taste. Um, right. So don't be afraid to try one thing that it should that is good to note if you're brewing beans at home if you're uh, brewing espresso at home uh it can be really tricky to work with certain beans particularly yeah. certain single origins and some beans aren't very well suited to espresso either so it right. just depends and sometimes like you might need to really understand how espresso works to be able to make a really tricky like um burundi bright coffee or yeah. something work yeah because you might need to ins you might need to drastically alter your approach to brewing it it might need a really mm -hmm. long slow shot it might need a you know uh it's i haven't really encountered any that needs shorter shots but uh but you, you're, you're <laughs> dark coffees usually yeah um that's kind of my usually my baseline but your extraction time and stuff will change depending right. on um, some of the trickier coffees out there. So if you're just starting out, getting an espresso blend is a good idea because it'll be easier to work with in that brew method. And I do recommend too, since we were just talking about variables, while you're learning, um, find a coffee that you you know you like or that you you know see some flavors that you like and stick with that until you feel really comfortable totally. with your machine, then mix it up. That will help you just make sure you know, you know um, if it's the coffee or if it's the variables that are going into yeah. your shot. Yeah, we have more when we when we talk about espresso in a full episode um, later on, but um, but definitely one thing that people are are there's a process of dialing in your grinder for espresso where you really need mm -hmm. to take time to dial that shot in. And when you're just starting out, you may find that you waste kind of a lot of coffee learning that process. So mm -hmm. getting a few bags or, you know, if you're working with an Italian coffee, a larger bag so that you have a lot of extra coffee to kind of work through. Um, as you learn that process is good. And then eventually you'll be able to dial in a coffee in like two or three shots. Um, right. So you won't be wasting that coffee all the time. But uh, yeah. Or may not even have to adjust it at all. I had yeah. 
a solid coffee going in my grinder and I was like refusing to give it up because it was so perfect. So mm -hmm. I just kept buying and buying and buying. Yep. Yep. Or you'll make tiny adjustments off of that coffee mm -hmm. for other similar kinds of coffees. So definitely. Yeah. So. Uh, so why don't we um, we've we could probably go on and on and on about espresso. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there is so much to it, um, but we'll leave some of those details with for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, why don't we talk about AeroPress? Because that's sure. kind of a another one that people will try to like mimic espresso with. Mm -hmm. um, and we can talk a little bit about how it differs from espresso. So you're still using pressure, right? Because it's got that neat plunger concept. Yeah, it's like a plunger or piston. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so. Um, it's not going to be as strong a pressure, right? Like as much as you you talk about the pressure that's involved with both AeroPress and Espresso, Espresso uses like nine bars of pressure and your AeroPress can be, you know, only as much as you can push on it and it doesn't yeah. have as much resistance. Um, but it's similar in the way that it does use pressure and you can do a very fine grind to get a very dense and strong cup of coffee or you can go the opposite direction and do more like a pour over style, do a little bit coarser of a grind like that pour over style and get that. So it's a very flexible brew method, which is why I think it's so popular. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure, Pat, you've heard of all the competitions oh, they yeah. do with the recipes and everything. Yeah. And recipes, including like inverting the AeroPress and mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah. And it's also interesting because while it's what surprised me at first, I thought like, oh, well, it's just kind of like a French press, but. Right. You know, plastic, but it's very different. It, I mean, mm -hmm. it's you're like you're saying you're applying pressure to the water to push it through the grounds rather than um, straining them with a press plunger. Right. And you're using a filter with an AeroPress in addition to, you know, the like the the um, the, the the plastic being there. Right. Like the, the, the part of the the uh, brewer. Um AeroPresses scare me because I always feel like while I'm pushing down, it's going to like something's for some reason it's going to like kick <laughs> out tip. from under me and tip and then the coffee's going to go everywhere and I'm going to destroy them or I'm going to push so hard and I'm not strong enough to do this, but I'm push so hard on it that I'm just going to shatter the mug and it's going <laughs> to go everywhere um, and then everybody's going to get burned. But uh, I bring that up because. Uh, you don't really have to worry about that. <laughs> um, it's 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 right. a safe brew method as long as I'm you're actually, a little bit careful. It's as long as you're using the right size cup, yeah, right? Like yeah. some some mugs are going to be super wide, and that won't work for this brew method. But I've actually, I thankfully, knock on wood, I've never had that happen to I've me. I've never seen it happen. Dozens <laughs> of arrow presses that I've watched right. other people at the company brew. So yeah. And I also really like this method for travel. It's like yeah. my go-to to pack like anytime I'm going anywhere, um, like whether that's camping or just traveling across the country and things like that. It's just super flexible and small and doesn't require a lot. Um, and, you know, you don't need like a gooseneck kettle necessarily. You can just use like any kind of hot water that's boiled or, well, not boiled, but you get what I'm saying in that right yeah. 205 to 195. And if you combine it with um, with a hand grinder and since it makes sort yeah. of smaller servings, it doesn't it's not as painful to grind. You don't have to grind as much for a whole pot of pour over or whatever. Um, so if you bring if you travel with with an AeroPress, especially the AeroPress Go, which has a cup kind yeah. of built in as the storage method. I love that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and it's a little smaller. 
you can put that together with a hand grinder and take a bag of coffee with you as long as you can get hot water um yep. you'll be good to go uh so yeah it's uh it's it's definitely a cool method especially for travel for sure and that one like traditionally like what they give you in the pack it uses these uh little round paper filters and you know that's a totally acceptable way to do it it's just they ha- uh, the attachment that comes with it just has a few more holes for a little less resistance but fellow makes a attachment called i think it's called the prisma yeah am mm-hmm. i saying that right prisma yeah, is maybe and- i don't know for sure yeah and they do have other like metal filters that you can use um but if you use that attachment i was really a big fan of it because it it provides more resistant right more resistance right and that's going to lead to an even more similar style of coffee that you would get in espresso um and it's, I really liked it. And I thought that was a good addition to mm-hmm. have and a good to, addition to try if you were looking for some ways to mix it up. Um, but yeah. 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 AeroPress is cool. Um, so we have a few more to hit here. I think um, the way that is maybe it's still one of the most popular brew methods around the world is the classic yeah. drip coffee. Um, which we don't have to spend a ton of time on, but it's important to at least uh, to talk about a little bit, I think. Is it? This, this is a question I really don't know the answer to. Is it popular around the whole world or is that more of a U.S.? That's why I hesitated a bit. It's not as popular. Um, there's some environments where I it's still very popular, like on airplanes, for example. Oh, yeah. You know, it's hard to get uh, an espresso machine on an airplane. I'm sure that that's somewhere someone's private jet has an espresso machine. But even when I've flown internationally, they serve drip coffee. Right. Um, I know in a lot of places that instant coffee is more popular. That makes um, sense. So but and and then I think in in, in some places um, pour over, you either drink instant. I don't want to name any places because it's I don't want to <laughs> misspeak. But my, my understanding is that there are some regions where you either drink instant coffee or you're drinking a pour over for like kind of a nicer coffee experience. Um, that makes but sense. Uh, certainly in the United States, drip coffee is still extremely popular. And I think it's pretty popular in other places as well. Still, um, in, at least in like North America. Uh, and um, I think it's because it's just for whatever. I actually don't know the specifics as to why this happened, but it definitely became the sort of de facto. I know, you, ha- you get a coffee maker. Well, tell, yeah, definitely. Tell me. Yeah, it's mostly... Um- the Great Depression led to a lot of those like bulk batch brewing methods because they were trying to figure okay. out ways to make the coffee, you know, um, stretch essentially, which is what sure. a lot of people did. And then so I'm from Louisiana. And one thing that people in Louisiana did is add chicory to coffee, right? Because it has mm-hmm. a similar flavor. Um, so that's one of the reasons that it kind of blew up. And that's like uh, we kind of just stuck to it. And I also wanted to mention, like, some people are not a fan of drip coffee. They kind of look down on it and, you know, they, like, opt for the pour over and things like that because they have a little more control. But you can get really nice brewers that make really good cups of coffee. They just need to be in that right temperature range for brewing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just about it's all water, like the the, the consistency and appropriate temperature of the water. Um you know, if you get a grocery store coffee maker that's really cheap, right? What it does is it heats the water up really, really hot, and then it doesn't maintain a consistent heat. So it it dumps a bunch of scorching hot water, 
close to boiling on your coffee grounds. And then it just kind of keeps pumping it out. And then the temperature goes down and it's right. not consistent at all until then it's out of the coffee brewing range. So what you end up getting is like a scorched pot of like bean water <laughs> rather than a good cup of coffee. So instead, though, if you get like a nice brewer from somebody like Technovorm yeah. or um, like Breville's Precision Brewer, um, there's a bunch of different ones. Yep. Bonavita makes really simple, um, affordable, great drip brewers. Um you're you can get really really good coffee for sure it's and and in fact um i have spoken to multiple uh roasters who would rather have like a commercially roasted like or a commercially brewed drip coffee than anything else yeah. um like like on really nice commercial drip brewers which is per my personal favorite really yeah. um way to drink coffee is on like like a, a Fetco drip brewer or a Curtis drip brewer or something like that. Yeah. For sure. That's And that was going back to my point about how the technology has just gotten better and better for those systems. You know, mm -hmm. I think what you can get off of brewers now is going to be better than what they used to be. Um, and fresh brewed coffee too. That's a big thing. With drip pots, they need to be, you know, either really fresh or, you know, at least keep in like a thermal container or something right to mm -hmm. kind of maintain that but the fresher it is the better that's going to taste for you totally yeah yeah well we'll talk more about drip brewing when we talk about sort of slow brewing we have a episode plan that's all about nice these various slow brewing methods and some more of the chemistry behind them but um we got a hit on this old favorite that i've had but um i don't know anybody who prefers percolator coffee at this point? Kind of old school. I don't really know that <laughs> yeah, many people. Very either. old school. Um, still popular. When I was researching like cowboy coffee for the <laughs> blog last year, I found you know that's still percolator brewed for the most part. Really? Um, but uh, makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a weird one. I thought it would be fun to talk about briefly because it is a sort of historic coffee method. I honestly, but. I don't think I've ever actually had percolator coffee i've just seen them on displays and like these like you know um like in louisiana we had a little museums yeah pretty much right we had like, or like in cafes you know they'll have them yeah, like yeah. on the side and stuff like that as decor i've never actually had coffee from one yeah i mean it's kind of just a pot of hot water right where the <laughs> coffee is immersed in it and uh yeah it's 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 definitely an acquired taste in my opinion um, some people like don't clean their percolators. Oh, they no. just like let them build a really thick patina on them, and it's ugh. yeah. Clean ugh. clean your coffee pots, please. <laughs> Whatever they are, clean and descale your coffee equipment. <laughs> It'll make it taste better. I promise. <laughs> yes, yes, cleaner. Um, and then the last thing, last one we have to talk about is something that um, I didn't really encounter much until the last probably ten years, maybe. That sounds right. Um, but that's uh, that's cold brew coffee. Yeah, that's this is probably one of my favorite developments because it's so simple, right? Probably one of the the more simple ones that we talked about. Maybe Absolutely. besides drip. Yeah. All you do, if you're not familiar with cold brew, all you do is dump your French press type ground coffee in a like cheesecloth type of filter and pour some room temperature water. It's amazing. <laughs> that's all you do, yeah. and let yeah. it sit. And there's uh, there's like specific brewers that are engineered for cold brew, like Primula's mm -hmm. Carafe Brewer and their Travel Cold Brewer, um, there are bottles that have filters built into them. So you can just kind of dump your grounds in and pour your room temperature water in, stick it in the fridge overnight. Or 
some people I know some people say to refrigerate it overnight. Some people say to leave it out. I've done both. Uh, yeah, it's kind of up to you, really. If you refrigerate it, it slows down the extraction so you can leave it in there longer. If you leave yeah. it on the counter, I think it's it's more like 20 hours and then in the fridge, it's like 24 Um I don't know if I specifically notice any taste differences between the two, besides the fact that if you pull it out of the fridge, it's like ready to drink right then and there, which I do like. Um, yeah. And then something else. I think that um, the one that you mentioned, isn't that a, a metal filter instead of... Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's going to make it a little bit even stronger, right? Totally. Uh, and there's also some... There's also batch brewers like from Toddy that you can get mm-hmm. where... It'll use a um, uh, like a paper or f- sort of um, fabric filter too, uh, more like a little more like a cheesecloth. So there's a bunch of different specialty ways to do it that you can get. So you can I I think it, I like having a specific brewer because it's so convenient. But um, you know you can try it with something as simple as cheesecloth, like you were saying, and then uh, and see if you like it, and then go from there. It is important to note that cold brew and iced coffee are not the same thing, right? Yeah. Uh, like cold brew is this specific specific immersion style of brewing versus iced coffee where you're usually brewing either a drip or pour over or something over ice. Right. It's and brewed, using a little bit less water. Right. It's brewed hot and then flash cooled, which makes it yep. taste a little different. Usually cold brew mm-hmm. is stronger, like more. Um, how do you say that? It's more. It's more concentrated. Thank you. Like That's it's the word. it's usually brewed as a concentrate, and then you and then you um, dilute it. Dilute it, or you're like me and you drink the concentrate. Oh, that's so good. Which is very delicious and, and also it's very strong. So when you drink an entire glass of cold brew concentrate, you will Be vibrate. Buzzing. Yeah, <laughs> and float around the room. There's one more type of cold brew that is actually my personal favorite. Like immersion cold brew. Don't get me wrong, amazing. But if you've ever had slow drip cold brew and we offer one Mm -hmm. called uh the brewer like you know brew or (laughs) anyway it's it does a slow drip of cold water like ice water over these grounds and that probably brings out the most flavor i've ever had in a cold brew um Mm -hmm. something about that it just you know has a specific amount of water in the the bed at a time and i just think it works really well and it brings out yeah the most like nuanced flavors a lot of times with those other types of cold brewers they're going to be a little bit more dense and bring out those more dense notes um and if you want to try something with a little bit more light-bodied well, not necessarily light-bodied it's still going to be you know that that condensed version um but it, it will bring out a little bit more of those lighter notes mm-hmm yeah well, unless you have any other brew methods you wanted to hit, I think we've got a pretty exhaustive list here. Yeah, there's so much more out there, but I think these are pretty totally. much the basics. And, you know, this this gives you a lot to try if you haven't tried different brew methods before. And mm-hmm. it's a great thing to venture out if you kind of have your one method. Um, this was really what brought me to coffee, uh, just trying all these different methods with one bean and just seeing how different they turn out. Um, and you can really find like your favorite out of all of these, right? If you just kind of venture out, try something new. So I would yeah, really recommend it if you haven't before. Totally. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode, Allie. Happy to do it.
And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Seattle Coffee Gear podcast. If you have a question you'd like read on the podcast, please do drop us a line to questions at seattlecoffeegear.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to let us know in a review on your podcast platform of choice and tell a friend, get them subscribed. That helps too. And for all of your coffee needs, make sure you check out seattlecoffeegear.com and head over to our blog and YouTube for more educational and informative content about all things coffee. Until next time.